Hey, well, good morning, everybody. Hey, if you're new to the Stone Creek story, it's always good to kind of start with a little bit about who we are, especially at the beginning of the year. It's good to be reminded sometimes, isn't it? Just like, what is this year about? Um, and we are a Jesus church. And what that means is we don't have a political agenda or moral agenda. We just have a Jesus agenda. Amen, somebody? And we like to talk back, so let's say amen. amen. There we go. And so, uh, man, we're discipleship-driven. And what that means is we, we, uh, we have a lot of people that come here, but we're not just trying to gather a crowd. We're trying to mobilize an army. And we want people to look like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to live like Jesus. Because the, at the end of the day, what we really believe is that in Jesus is everything that you're looking for. It's the best way to live. In fact, it's the only way to live. And then finally, we're just transformation focused. We just want to see life change. You know, we're just desperate to see God do something in people's lives. So that's a little bit about us. Today, we are launching this series called Identity. Let's all say that word together, identity. You know, and identity just really has, uh, it's a little ambiguous if we're honest, it may feel a little non-tangible. But if you think about identity in terms of acceptance, acceptance is just this idea that we, we want, there's places we want to go and be accepted. Just like when you go home, you want to be able to just show up at home with no agenda, nothing to do, people to just love you for who you are. And, uh, but also, not just acceptance, this idea of being respected. Because we all want to know that we add value to life. We want to know that we bring something to the table, that we have a purpose, that we're leaving a mark, that people care, that we're helping people, that we're empowering people. And so you have these two that go together. Now, now, now to get started in this topic of identity, let's just take a stroll down memory lane. Can you think back to when you were in elementary school? You remember where you went to elementary school? Now, now when, when I went to, to elementary school, my elementary school was also uh, where I went to junior high. It was Gilmer McLaurin. How many of you guys went to junior high, not middle school, but junior high, right? You remember what that was like? And ours was combined. And I remember some turning points during my journey there where I started to really try to figure out who am I? It usually had to do with who am I in terms of other people. You remember that? I can remember that uh, the day that I really shifted and I wanted to go help my mom buy my clothes. You remember those days? Like, because before, I didn't care. I, my mom would buy me just the tough skins. Anybody wear tough skins? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Anybody, any tough skin guys in here? Go down to Sears, get you some tough skins. Red, blue, yellow, didn't matter, right? I mean, but, but then I realized I need to transition to some Levi's 501, you know? And so I can remember that day when I began to really think about what I wore and how it impacted me and how it fit in with other people. Man, I can remember getting, getting my hairstyle changed. You know, growing up, I had the bowl cut, you know, and I had some cowlicks, so it looked fashionable, right? But I had the bowl cut. I can remember wanting to get that, get that part down the middle and some, you know, some wings going on up there. And so that's what I did. You were looking for a picture. Heck no, I wasn't doing that. <laughs> I mean, I can remember that transition. Like, what about the cafeteria? You remember wanting to be sure you got in the you got in um, lunch period with the friends that you wanted? Like, because when I was in kindergarten, like, I did not care. I, I literally remember going to my kindergarten class, and there, all there was was one seat left next to a table of girls, and they had cooties, and I wasn't sitting there. And I just went and sat at a table by myself, and I didn't care. And now if you sit in the cafeteria by yourself, people would think you know, something's wrong. That's just not the way. We want to be around our friends. We want to find out where we sit in. We, and it starts you know, early somewhere in elementary school and it goes into middle school. And by high school, man, that run down the rabbit hole of identity is full speed, isn't it? 
trying to figure out who we are, the clubs that we join. Um, man, if we're gonna be an athlete or maybe in the band or theater, some other club and some other group of people. And we just began to run really hard down the rabbit hole. And what I've discovered is that most people never stop running down that rabbit hole of identity. That we just continue to run down it, not even sometimes realizing that's what we're doing. You know, and what happens is Levi's transition to Gigi's and Rolexes and uh, other things. You know, and, and our time to, we wanted to go play on the playground transitions to time at the beach or where we're gonna go on vacation. Man, and we just began to just do things that maybe cost a little more and take a little more time. And we're not as worried about A's and B's anymore as maybe the political party that we're associated with. Just trying to figure out who we are. And at this time of year, it's just a great opportunity to evaluate that. You know, a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. Studies would show that half of the people in the room made New Year's resolutions and 8% of us would keep them if we made them. Why is that number so abysmal? Because we don't know who we are. We've got to start at the beginning. We've got to start with identity. We'll never outgrow the cafeteria. It's just going to evolve for us. Now, let me just ask you this question who do you think you are? If you could just use some words to describe you, like who do I think I am? Like what words would you use? What adjectives would you use? If you look, when you look at yourself in the mirror, like who do you think that you are? Who do you say that you are? What words are there for you, man? What personality, maybe it's your wealth, maybe you go to your health, or maybe you would go to skin color, or height, or dress size, or upbringing, or neighborhood. Like who do you say you are? How do you think about yourself? And where did you get that from? When you think about who you are, like, who told you that? Who's had the most influence on you when it comes to your identity? What are the defining fundamental attributes of who you are? Now, let's move beyond the check boxes of a census for a second. Like, what are some of the truest things about you? And, and, you know, Pete Scazzaro says this. He's a pastor. He says, the vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are. We unconsciously live someone else's life or at least someone else's expectations of us. How does that hit you? You got maybe some expectations of a parent or a spouse or a community or a school or a teacher or a coach or a family. And we tend to live out of those. And what happens is we never live the life that we're designed to live. Now, why, why does all this matter? I'm glad you asked. So let's turn our attention to the Bible today. If you're new to us, man, we, we teach through the Bible. We'd love for you to always bring a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you a Bible. We have some paperbacks in the back. If you would like a nice leather Bible like mine, I think there's some in Lost and Found you could go grab. Um, but if you just look at what's happened and the story that Emily read, just think about this for a second. So we're eight verses into this book. We have one story in Jesus' life from the time he was born born until the time he starts his ministry, what we see today. One story and he's 12 years old. And now we're eight verses in, like literally one paragraph into this story of Jesus and this identity pops up, right? Very, very start of the story that we understand who Jesus to be. And then from there, what happens, he's, he's, he's driven out into the wilderness for training and for testing. And one of the things I'm gonna talk about a little bit later, like the greatest assault on your life isn't for your joy, it's not for your purpose, it's for your identity. It's for your identity. So we see that he goes out in the wilderness and he's tempted and he goes and he's, uh, a, a word for that is trial. He goes through a trial. Then we see he begins his ministry. After these things happen, he preaches the gospel. Then he calls his first disciples. And so then he gets people around him. And then he goes on, he begins to heal people and he heals people and then he preaches some more. And then towards the end of the chapter, it says that 
He had to go out into desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. That he just has this extreme popularity. But everything that Jesus did, everything that he said, all goes back to his identity. This is where it all starts. And it starts for Jesus there and it starts for us there as well. Our belief about who we are, man, it drives everything we do. And your belief about you, it drives everything that you do. It drives everything that you do. If you think about the decisions you make, Man, the career that you went into, like some of you went into careers simply because you were good at something, not because you really liked it. Anybody, anybody feel that today? <laughs> like some of you went into careers maybe because your parents told you you were good at that or maybe because your dad did that and so you went into that career and you didn't really give it a second thought. The relationships that you're in, the people that you ask out, the people you sit across the cafeteria table from, the places you go on vacation, man, the conflicts that you enter into, the way that you engage people or not, that it all comes back to who we think we are. And we see this happen in the life of Jesus. And when we begin to realize this, man, you just get freed up to live differently. Like when you really begin to know what's motivating you and who you are, it frees you to live differently. Like wouldn't you love to be able to walk through life with just this deep sense of confidence of who you are? Wouldn't you love to walk with this, this sense of purpose and you, that you enjoyed so much a life? Man, a confidence that would reduce anxiety and insecurity and it would really unleash the power of God in your life. That you would choose to celebrate other people and not be jealous of them. That, man, that you'd be able to dive into the difficulties of life without fear. That you wouldn't be afraid of bad news. Like, what if you didn't wonder what other people thought of you? Just for a second. Just for a day. What, 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 what if you didn't chase after the next toy or the next outfit or the next job just to make you feel better about yourself? Like, what if retail therapy went extinct? That was funny right there. <laughs> this frees you up to live differently. Now, let's just take a look at exactly what happens in the life of Jesus. So we see in verse nine of Mark chapter one, it says, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now what we know about baptism is that when, when he was baptized, uh, he was doing that because this is what his heavenly father wanted him to do. What we believe about baptism and as Aaron talked about baptism, it's this step of obedience that we take to publicly identify with God. It's, a, it's our way of saying we're just dedicating our life to following Jesus. And so Jesus just does this and says, I'm dedicated my life to follow my heavenly father. So it says he goes and he's baptized by John in the Jordan. And then he came up out of the water. It says, and he, so notice this, he came up out of the water. So if you come up out of the water, what necessarily happens? You go under the water, right? So baptism, you go under the water and then you come up out of the water. Got it? So he comes up out of the water and it says he saw the heavens being torn open. It says a dove descended on him. Now in the Bible, when you see this, a dove appears symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So it says, a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So let's just start with this voice from heaven. Right, right? One of the things that we understand, and if you're in kind of in this journey of understanding God, maybe following God, exploring, you know, just deciding what, what faith is, one of the things that we see is that God is in charge of everything. God has created everything. As we go to the book of Genesis, we see that God started with creating earth and water, and eventually he comes around to creating Adam and Eve. God, God creates us. And when you create something, you get to give it its identity, right? You get to name it. Like, like how many parents do we have? One of the greatest powers you have was naming your kids, am I right? Like I think about, uh, I always say, I, let, I feel like the moms should always name the kids because they go through all that pain to have those kids. 
They should get all the power to do that. But, but we get to name now, certainly later on, kids can, can change their name, but we know we get the authority. Why? Because we made them, we created them. And so God is the one who gets to decide identity. We don't. We don't. And I think in our culture, it's really important for us to understand this. Like when we, when we forget and miss out and confuse who gets to give identity, it just leads to chaos. Man, God gets to give identity. There are some things in life that cannot be altered. One of them is getting old. Have you noticed this one? There are some things happening to you right now, especially as you get over the age of 20. I'm just trying to help you 30-year-olds out. <laughs> that you can't stop. You can't avoid. And guess what? If you embrace it, life is good. Right? Anybody over 50 in this house today? Like, when you just begin to embrace it, it's a lot better. When you fight it, it hurts. It hurts anyway, if I'm being honest. But <laughs> there are some things, and God is the one who gets to decide identity. This is his, this is his role. Uh, Eugene Peterson says this. He says, my identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. That sound familiar? There is something previous to what I think about myself, and it is what God thinks about me. Listen, God gets to decide identity. So one place, we, the, the place we should get identity is from our Heavenly Father, is from God. Man, another place that we tend to get identity is just from out there. Culture, other people, and we just live in a culture that's just infatuated with that. Like, we have so many inventories that we take, right? You got Myers-Briggs, you got Enneagram, you got uh, the disc profile, you got the five voices. You can even go to BuzzFeed. You can find out what Disney princess you wanna be. You can find out what kind of animal, I think what kind of dog, what dog breed you are. I'm a pit bull. <laughs> not really, not really. I'm definitely not that little schnauzer thing right there. <laughs> I, just, I just offended all the schnauzer owners <laughs> and I am not sorry. Um, and then you can also figure out, you know, which elf character you are. And we got a lot, and some of these things are good, right? Some of these things will describe you. Like, you, you need to know yourself to lead yourself is what my leadership coach would tell me. And so, like, if you're an extrovert, you should know that. How many extroverts we got in here? Wow, not many. How many introverts? Like, I figured we'd have zero introverts because it'd be like, I'm an introvert. <laughs> like, you're not changing that. Like, people will say, I'm an ambivert. No, <laughs> that's not a thing, Okay. But all those things are used to describe us, to help us understand ourselves, not to define us. And what can happen is those things can begin to mask us because that's where we're going to find out our identity. Man, and we just live in a culture that just is infatuated with our identity and telling us what to think. We can promote ourselves. We can put ourselves and read so much about other people and read so much about life. And, uh, and, and we've all had the experience where an ad pops up on our computer and all of a sudden it's like, how did they know? That's what I was thinking. It's because that's what they told you to think. That's why. Right? It's trying to define our identity. And if we don't fit into certain boxes and categories, then we're canceled or there's conflict that happens and we're, and we're cast out. Right? And, and this is just what we experience from culture. We have cultures trying to get us to fit into its norms and tell us what to think. We have algorithms. And what this has done is produced the most angry, anxious, and depressed culture in recent memory, hadn't it? by just all these voices and messages that we're hearing because we're not listening to what God says about us. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. This is a really cool story. Um, his parents had immigrated when he was a kid, so it would have been years ago. He's in, uh, he's in his 40s now, I think. Um, hope you're not just 30. Um, but 
And when they immigrated here, he, he got to sit down as a five-year-old and going through the paperwork, he got to write down his name. So he got to pick his name. And so, and so he, he, he picks out a name, which is just a very common name. I'll call it Jeff. It's something similar. So he just picks out a name, Jeff. And someone asked him, like, why'd you do that? He said, because there was a cool kid in my class named Jeff, and I really liked him. And I thought, why didn't you name yourself like Maximus or Gladiator or something? But you get it. Like, he looked across. He saw somebody else. He's like, I like that person. I want to be that person. I'll put their name down. And we tend to do that as well. And we, we can run down that road of looking at what other people have and what they are. We can be jealous of their giftedness and their strengths and we can begin to think we wish, and we'll let them tell us who we should be rather than looking at what God wants us to be. Roger Kipling said this. He said, words are the most powerful drug used by mankind. So we have words that come at us that we wanna describe ourselves as and they become powerful and we begin to adopt them as identities. Let me ask you this, what labels, what names have other people given you? Good or bad, like what names have other people given you? Listen, the most formative name for you, it's not what's on your, it's not what's on your birth certificate. It's not what's on your driver's license. It's not what's on your passport. The most formative name that you have is the one that you call yourself. You notice the names you call yourself? You ever been driving in traffic, missed a turn, call yourself a name or two? Anybody? Or maybe you had this failure and it just happens again and again and you just call yourself a name. Usually it's gonna have some profanity involved. Man, there's these times that we call ourselves names that aren't names that God gives us, but names that we give ourselves and they're not helpful. Man, they are, they are not helpful. And when we call ourselves these names, what happens? It creates a prison that we can't get out of. And God is the one who will get us out. So God knows, God knows that we need to start with Start with identity. Now, now, there's also the positive things that have been told us before. Man, true names can just give us confidence, encourage, clarity about life. Like, if you think about the help, and I know sometimes we'll laugh, this is being trivial, but when Maybelline would tell, or Abelene would tell uh, baby girl, she would say, what, you are smart, you are kind, you are important. Like, and how formative that is. And, and as a parent, you should be telling your kids that kind of thing every single day, because you know what? The world's telling them a lot of different things. And if you want your kids to know who you are, you should tell them. And I get it, you're gonna go through a phase where they're like, oh, you're so crazy, you're dumb, you don't really know. But you'll work through that, trust me. But they need to hear it over and over and over again. There's a friend of mine, they named their little girl, her middle name is Brave. Don't you love that? So every time they say, ooh, so every time they say her name, right, she gets reinforced that she's brave. Like we need that, those kind of people in our lives. And so God speaks this identity, beloved son, and I love this idea. Now, let's remember son is because Jesus is a male. It really would just mean child, so it could be beloved son or beloved daughter. He gets this identity that comes from his heavenly father. Now, now this is gonna be extremely important. Now, 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 the idea of being loved just means being accepted. It means you got a place to go home to is what it means, you, a place that you belong. And listen, when you have a home, you just live with a certain level of stability, don't you? You know you get to go back. You know somebody's taking care of you. You can take a risk and fail and know that it doesn't define you. It's just a certain period of your life and you get to go where? You get to go home. Now you can't take a divorce these two words, beloved son, to, because man, when those are together and they mean something special, don't they? So think about it, like if you have a relationship with your parent maybe or with a kid if you have children and it's a healthy relationship, it's just different. 
Man, there's just a special bond. Like you can love other people, but you just love your kids different, don't you? And so here's the thing. When you have, when you have in-laws that come in, they don't get loved the same, do they? No, I'm kidding. That really is not true. But some of you feel that way. You married into a family and you're an in-law because, and then the joke is what you're in, outlaw, of course. But we know there's this special relationship between parents and children. And it, it's just this idea of accepting. Accepting meaning you got a place to come home to. Now, it doesn't mean God's gonna always approve of our behavior. We're gonna get corrected. If God truly loves us, he's gonna correct us. But it does mean that the door is open, just like when the prodigal son came home. And so he uses these words, beloved son. Man, there is no limit to what a loved person can do. There is absolutely no limit to what a loved person can do that feels accepted. Now, a lot of times, we see God through our parents. And so if you have a good relationship with parents, that kind of works. But if you have a bad relationship with parents, it kind of doesn't work. And, and you'll have people that will say, my parents fought all the time. Like, that was not good. And some people will say, my parents never fought. It's like, that was not good. Because <laughs> they did. <laughs> because parents will what? They will have conflict at times. And so there's always going to be a little bit of a disconnect between our earthly parents and our heavenly father. But he is a perfect dad who has good things for us, who has kept his promises. This is the God that we serve, right? And so when you have beloved child together, that means something. And until you see yourself as a loved kid, you're going to feel left out. You're going to feel like you're sitting at that cafeteria table wondering who's going to sit next to you one day. Man, I, I was thinking about this. Debbie and I were talking about it. Uh, you know, if you walk down the nursery hallway on a Sunday morning, there's usually gonna be an 18 to, 18 to two month to two-year-old losing their mind, right, from separation anxiety. They, they wanna be with their mom and dad. By the way, if that was you this morning, you're fine. Right? They'll call you if they need you. Don't worry. But, but they go down and they experience this separation anxiety and they're crying. And so what happens? They'll go in the room and the teacher's gonna do everything they can to get them to what? Stop crying, okay? And they, they may, if they need a diaper change or may shove some Cheerios in their face or maybe give them a toy, try to distract them, do whatever you can, right, just to get them to stop crying. That's the, that's the goal. And this is, this is what happens to us as adults. Man, we have separation anxiety because we're not connected to our Heavenly Father. Man, and we just keep trying to distract ourselves and run down different ways just to keep us occupied just so we'll stop crying. And we wonder why we're angry and frustrated and restless and we keep repeating the same patterns over and over and over again and we go from relationship to relationship or job to job or we wake up in the morning thinking, is this all life is? And the reason why is we just haven't lived into this identity of that we are loved by God. We are loved by God. We are completely accepted. When we begin to follow Jesus, the Bible teaches that we're adopted into the family. Man, we are a full-born heir to the kingdom of God. And so this is who we are. Now, the second phrase that, that he uses here is, with whom I am well pleased. It's this idea of being respected. Now, think about this for a minute. What has Jesus done at this point? Nothing, right? Nothing. He hasn't healed anybody he hasn't calmed a storm. He has done nothing. You see, this idea of respect or value has nothing to do with what we do. This is so foreign to our thinking, isn't it? Man, we are so conditional on how we value people. 
Like, what's the first question? What's the first question you ask someone after you get their name? What do you do? Or if you're being politically correct and it's a female, it's like, do you work outside the home? Right? What do you do? It's always about what you do. And immediately when someone tells you what they do, what happens? And this mental narrative begins to play. Now, this is really fun for me because I'll meet someone maybe and they don't ask me what I do till, you know, till they've known me for a little while. And then when they do ask me and I say, I'm a pastor, you can see they, they begin to replay their entire life <laughs> and everything they've ever said to me. But there's this mental narrative that plays, isn't it, right? About what you think and words you might say or not say, things you might accept or not accept. We just, we focus so much on what people do. Like if you meet someone and they say they're an accountant or they say they're an attorney, or if they say, I'm a trust fund baby. It just, it brings a mental narrative of who we think we are. And all those things are not intended to be our foundational identify, identity. Because I am, a, I am a pastor. Right, I am. But it's not my foundational identity. Uh, let me, we're gonna, I'm gonna throw a pyramid up and just to give you a little bit of example of what I'm trying to say. So let's just say for a minute that my foundational identity is pastor, okay? That that's it. That that's everything I base my life on. Now, of any occupation, you would think that'd be okay, Right? I mean, it's a pastor trying to help people out. But imagine, we all know this is gonna happen one day, hopefully not soon, but there's gonna come a day I'm gonna walk off this stage and sit down with my wife for the last time. I'm gonna walk out of my office, I'm gonna turn the lights off for the last time. I'm gonna walk in those doors early on a Sunday for the last time. There's gonna come a day that's gonna happen. And if pastor is my foundational identity, what happens to my life? Crumbles, foundation is gone. And so if you replace Jesus as the foundation, someone who doesn't change, who is the alpha and the omega, who is the beginning and the end, the image of the invisible God, if that's the center of your identity, guess what? I'm gonna be a husband and a dad. That's gonna kind of be my priorities. I'm gonna be a granddad. I'm gonna be a pastor. And if that goes away, guess what? It's not gonna crush me. Does it affect us? Absolutely. Like we can't negate things that we spend years doing and hours invested in and think that it doesn't matter when we don't do them anymore. But it isn't gonna be the end of the line for us. It doesn't have to crush us. Guess what? You got kids under the age of 18, one day they are moving out and you're gonna be glad. But it can't crush you. Is it gonna be, should it be a time of maybe nostalgia and maybe even a, a few tears? Yes, but guess what? If you're married, your marriage will get better. Your relationship with your other kids will get better. Man, there are things that are going to change, but we can't get it wrong about where the foundation of our identity is. It has to be found in something that is unchanging and immovable. This is well-pleasing. It's not about what he does. It's not about what he's done. It's about who he is. And you're not tolerated by God. He, he's not contractually obligated to love you. He loves you and he is pleased with you. Now, after this happens, he gets this identity and it's like the floodgates of mission open up for Jesus in this moment. The next one, we see that he's, he's driven out into the wilderness. It says in verse 12, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels ministered to him. So we see that he goes out into the wilderness to be tested, right? To go through trials is another way to say that. And we get a very robust description of that in the book of Luke in Luke chapter four. And not to go through all the temptations, but let me just point out what is happening. You get an identity but the rest of your life, God is helping form you into that identity. 
Like, don't miss this. Every day when you wake up, what God is doing is forming you into the person he has created you to be, right? And it's the place where you'll find the most freedom. It's the place where you'll find the most satisfaction. It's the place where you'll find the most purpose. So every day when you get up and you wake up and you begin to breathe and think and your feet hit the floor and you go into the day, you should be thinking, man, what God, what do you have for me today? Like, what is this day gonna be about? How are you gonna grow me today? How am I gonna step into the kingdom today? And every, every time you have a conflict at work, God's using that to shape you. Every time you go through a tragedy, right, God's using it to shape you and form you into the person that he's created you to be. Because you want to be the person God's created you to be deep down. Because he's created you to be that. And so every day, it's about training. But then also what we see is that Jesus has gone out in the wilderness and he's fasting and he's praying while he's connecting with his heavenly father. He's diving into this new identity, that he, to this identity, it's not new for him, into this identity that he's been given. And then we see that Satan comes along and tempts him. Like, and listen, this is the greatest assault on your life. Everything that has happened to you is coming after your identity. Like for some people, it's been pretty intense. It's been pretty demonstrative. Right, and we see this happen in Luke chapter four. We see, uh, I'm just gonna read the first temptation, but they all kind of start the same. In Luke chapter four, verse three, it says he's out in the wilderness. It says the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, catch that, what? Your identity, it's where he starts. It's where your temptations are. Every time you're tempted to act outside of the uh, parameters that the love that God has given you, the things that you know are wrong, you violate your conscience, right? It's attacking who you are. That's why you feel what when you do something wrong? Shame, coming after your identity. It says, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus said, it is written, the Bible's kind of important, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So we see this happen three different times in the life of Jesus, and it just gets more and more intense, the temptations for him to violate his Identity is what happens. Now, now, there's three different ways that we see this come in our life. Number one is distraction. Number one is just distraction. We get distracted from the things that really matter in life so we don't live in and experience the identity God's created us to live into. We don't experience any depth. We live a surface level life. And we have some opportunities for distraction. Have you noticed that? I just happened to stumble on uh, this, this week uh, the counter for how many times I pick up my phone a day. And how many notifications I get a day? I'd tell you, but I'd be embarrassed because it's so low. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> right, but we just, we're so distracted and we have so much to take us away from things that really matter. And that's the first level. And that's where Satan comes in at first. He's trying to tell Jesus, you're just hungry. Just grab something to eat. Just fulfill that appetite you have. And he's trying to distract him from who he's called him to be. The next one is what we call diminishment. Diminishment, just meaning not really that great. You're, you, you always do that. Do you ever say that to yourself? <laughs> this always happens to me. I'm not that important. You know, in, in Christian circles, it kind of looks like this. You did a great job. Oh, it was just the Lord. I think he used your body is what I think he just did. And so we just have this diminishment, and many times it's because we don't want to be considered proud, but also it's just Satan coming at us saying, God doesn't really care about you. God doesn't have good things for you. Those blessings, they're for everybody else, not you. So we see him come at him. And then and eventually, eventually, he comes full, full speed just trying to destroy your identity. Like there are some things that you're probably really good at. 
some dreams that you had, but a failure happened and you just gave up. You just quit. That's not me. That's not for me. I don't need to do that. I'm not wired for that. I'm not created for that. I don't want that to happen again. It comes at you with full-on destruction. Listen, everybody believes lies about themselves. You just have to identify which lies you're believing. Everybody, every person believes lies based on something that happened to you, something that was said to you. If you believe something wrong about who you are, it's gonna have devastating effects on you. You're gonna struggle to do anything right. And you always feel like you're missing out just a little bit. Your life will always feel like you're just below water trying to get your head up just to get, catch a breath so you, before you go back under. And if you believe the wrong thing about yourself, your life's gonna be short-circuited. Man, some people in this room have been wounded by names. Not good enough, quitter, failure, dirty, damaged, fat, lazy, never, ever. And it's, it doesn't go away. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will crush me. So we have to be clear on who we are. Man, Satan is after your identity. Identity will give you the weapons you need to win the game of life. Have you ever met anybody who's just comfortable in their own skin? You're like, man, they just don't seem to get rattled. They don't seem to be afraid of bad news. And they don't seem to be worried they seem to have this sense of purpose. Why? Because they know who they are. They're clear on who they are. Man, there just comes a point in our lives we have to stop pretending and just get to the root of it. Like, who am I? Who am I? C.S. Lewis had a rather, it's a rather lengthy quote about identity, but he says this. He says, give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. Like this is the promise of the gospel, that we get a new identity. And what would it look like for you to start out the year just with a different identity? That you would wake up every morning just trusting God for who he's created you to be and the things he's called you to do that flow out of who you, he's created you to be. Like, how do you get there? Sometimes you just gotta keep telling yourself, don't you? Sometimes you just gotta keep telling yourself who you are. You know, we're gonna launch into a, a study in the book of Ephesians next week, and it's the magna cum laude when it comes to, um, uh, excuse me, that would be a person. It is the magnum opus of what it means for identity when it comes to following Jesus. And next week, we're gonna look at two words that are just gonna sit at the center of our identity to really help us. Uh, and then we're gonna, we're gonna start a declaration next week that we'll say throughout the course of the series. And, and here are the words of the de declaration. This isn't self-help. It's not positive vibes or a little pick-me-up. This is a war against the schemes of the enemy. I say this every day out loud. To take hold of what is already mine in Jesus. I wanna say it to live out of my true identity so that I don't forget. I am not what the world says about me. I am not the lies that have been spoken over me. I am not the sum of all my achievements or my mistakes. I am who God says I am. I am first and foremost a beloved child and God is pleased with me. God doesn't just love me, but he actually really, really likes me. I am in Christ, blessed with every spiritual blessing. I don't need the treasures of this world. I have an eternal inheritance. 
I'm not defective, tolerated, or an inconvenience. I'm appreciated, celebrated, and honored. Not arrived, I'm not perfect, I'm not sinless, but I'm graciously and gloriously saved. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I'm destined for good works, I belong, I am a citizen and a member of God's house. I don't always have to fit in this world, I have a home in heaven. The world may not understand me, it didn't understand Jesus. I choose to remember I'm part of something bigger than myself. I am loved beyond comprehension. I have a unique purpose in the church as a member of Jesus' body. I live different because Jesus has made me new. I'm an imitator of God filled with the spirit of Jesus. I am a relational who Jesus loves. I am a warrior equipped for battle. I will not believe the lies and I will not forfeit my destiny. This is who I am and who I am becoming. The truest thing about me is that I am a child of the one true king. I believe if you formed your day with that every single morning, it could change some things for you. It could change some things for you. Now, I realize on a topic like this, man, there's some things that can get stirred up a little bit, a little heavy. Just ask yourself the question, who am I? Who am I? Who, who do I say that I am? Who do I think that I am? What words are used? And start there and then remember who God says you are. Like no matter what's been spoken over you, no matter if your dad left you, your mom abused you, a tra an unspeakable tragedy happened to you, it doesn't negate God's role in your life and want to speak identity over you for this next new year. 2024 will be the best year you've ever had because you will know who you are. Let's pray together. God, we're just grateful to have a moment just to be still and think. And just as we are here together, just eyes closed, head bowed, eyes closed, just to, who, what are the words that come up when these questions get asked? Like, what do you think about yourself? What words come to mind? And is it words like good and strong and successful and winning? Or is it words like mediocre, average, defective, deficient, left out, missed out, lone, I and mean, who spoke that over you? Like, see if you can determine where that came from. Because God has a new identity to speak over you. One of the beautiful things about the gospel says old things have passed, new things have come. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. You have a new identity. We need to settle into that today.